According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 3. We are about halfway through the chapter, I think, down in verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies drip with dew. You know, the Lord used wisdom. It says, by wisdom, he founded the earth. And uh, this is, uh, makes sense that we're going to want to use the same wisdom ourselves. If this is what God does, uh, when we're imitators of him, then it makes sense that we too will want to make uh, use of the wisdom that he supplies. All right, before we get started, let's go to him in prayer, ask for distractions to be set aside, ask for his blessing upon our time in his word today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for grace and truth. We thank you that grace and truth are given by Jesus Christ, Father, and here we are today, because of your grace, studying your truth. I ask for your hand of blessing upon our time together, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would equip us in ways that we've never been equipped before. Father, teach us something we've never known. Equip us, strengthen us, build us up in the faith. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we've gone through, what have we gone through? Um... Six points of study, and we've reached point seven. We've covered under main point six the psalm that's found in the midst of this uh, chapter. And uh, did that surprise you at all? Uh, does it bother you that there are psalms outside of the book of Psalms? Uh, that there are psalms elsewhere in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament we find some psalms that are written. So verses 13 through 18 is a psalm, and uh, begins with how happy, and it ends with how happy. Uh, so you can think of it as a happy psalm. Uh, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. And uh, we dealt with the subpoints and the issues there, in particular the reference to the tree of life, uh, that she is a tree of life, and we want to understand the uh, significance related to tree of life. Which brings us then to main point 7, verses 19 and 20, pursuing wisdom, understanding, and knowledge makes sense, given the Lord's employment of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, to create and govern the universe. To create and govern the universe. All right? It's not just creation, because there's also destruction. Right? I mean, if verse 19 is creative, you've got to understand that verse 19 is, is destructive, or verse 20 is destructive. All right? Uh, by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. Well, that sounds pretty destructive. <laughs> and God's free to do that. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is the destroyer. Uh, when things uh, suit his purpose, when uh, the purpose for something is done, then he can destroy it and build something else. All right? Just so long as he hasn't made eternal promises related to it. He can't destroy Israel because he's made eternal promises to Israel. He can't destroy the church because we have eternal promises as the church. We have eternal life. We cannot be destroyed. Uh, but the earth, the present heavens and earth, can very much be destroyed. They are not eternal. The new heavens and new earth will be eternal. And that's what he's promised. Okay? So when I crafted point seven, I wanted to 
include both the creation and the governance. The creation and the governance. And this is something, too, I found to be useful in discussion with uh, tree huggers, all right, with uh, environmentalists and other folks that reject God and his existence and reject creation itself. And then they're so absolutely dedicated to saving everything and preserving everything. And, and um, you know, which is, I find goofy. If it's all an accident anyway, why are you so wrapped up in keeping it around? But um, anyway, the, but what I have found is, is not only do they, is their lack of faith in God's existence problematic for them, but the idea, if there is no God that created it, then there is no God that's sustaining it. See, and, and you, you bring them to both understandings, and then you can say, my Bible says that God is the one who created it, God's the one who's sustaining it, Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power, and God is the one who's going to destroy it. And that's on his timetable, not ours. We will not destroy this world. We cannot destroy this world, even if we wanted to, all right? And so it's not uh, capitalism or America or Republicans or anything else that's going to destroy this world with global warming and whatever else. We couldn't if we wanted to, and we don't really want to. Uh, You know, folks seem to think we want to, but we don't want to destroy the world. All right. So again, main point seven now, verses 19 and 20. For you and I to pursue wisdom, understanding, and knowledge makes perfect sense, given that the Lord Jesus Christ himself employed wisdom, understanding, and knowledge when he created and as he governs the universe. Understand the instrumental nature of this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. Okay? Or we can rephrase this. God the Father designed it, and directed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, also known as wisdom, to be the carpenter that constructed what the Father designed. We could phrase it that way as well and be theologically consistent with what this verse is saying. And we understand that. We're going to get more on that in Proverbs chapter 8. The role of wisdom in the creation of the earth will be expanded in chapter 8. Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 31. Just take a short look at it this morning. I know we looked at it last week. We can look at it a hundred times over as far as I'm concerned because this is, <clears throat> this is such a vital passage. We have so many other passages that talk about uh, Thou art my beloved Son, today I have begotten Thee. And we understand that today is a significant day. It's a significant day in the church age, day after day, as long as it's called today. But it's significant in the dynamic between the Father and the Son when the Father says, today I have begotten you. That is a significant moment. But those passages, whether you're looking at Psalms or you're looking at Hebrews and so forth, those passages don't tell us what day today is. What is the day when when the Father said, today I have begotten thee? All right. Proverbs 8 is the text of Scripture that tells us when today was. Proverbs 8 tells us that today was before any other day. And verse 22 says, The Lord canad me at the beginning of his way. Kanah, he birthed me. And this is when God the Father birthed the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is undiminished deity and true humanity, united together in one person forever. But that true humanity was birthed by God the Father. That's why he is eternally the Son, and we understand this. His deity is eternal, always has been. His humanity is not eternal. 
Humanity had a beginning. And uh, if folks don't think about it or never even give it a second thought, they just assume that the humanity of Jesus Christ began in the, the manger. That the humanity of Jesus Christ began uh, in, in Bethlehem, in a Bethlehem manger. Or maybe it began in, uh, in, in the virgin's womb in Nazareth or wherever. Uh, but they, they, they put the, the genesis of the humanity of Jesus Christ in the first century, right? I believe it was much older than that. that. The humanity of Jesus Christ, based on this text, based on Colossians 1, based on other passages of Scripture like Hebrews and Psalms, today I have begotten thee, means a very significant event called today. It was the very first today there ever was. Before this event, there never was a today. It was just the eternal eternity past between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Lord possessed me, birthed me, brought me into existence at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. All right? Here's an in the beginning we need to relate to the John 1 1 in the beginning and the Genesis 1 1 in the beginning. And for that matter, the Colossians 1 in the beginning. All right? Yeah, before his works of old, from everlasting I was established. From everlasting. And so I call this the alpha moment. All right? We understand that time has an alpha moment and an omega moment. And it's been a series of moments ever since. All right? There's just a series of moments in between. And, uh, you know, this is now another moment after the first moment that I tried to explain this. And then we'll have another moment. We'll have a series of moments until the end of this hour. That's what time is. Time is a sequence of moments. Well, what happened before there was time? You know, before now and, and forevermore. We understand there's boundaries of, for time. What we call as a concept eternity past and eternity future, right? And only God was there in eternity past. We will be with God in eternity future, okay? So this is, these are the boundaries of time. And there is coming an omega moment when God the Son delivers the kingdom up to the Father that God may be all in all. The omega moment is when the sequence of time will no longer be tracked in the dimension of time as we have it today. That's the omega moment called the end in 1 Corinthians 15. Now we have the beginning, the alpha moment. And between alpha and omega is every other moment of what we call time. The creation, or the, not the creation, the begetting of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't like to refer to it as a creation. I prefer to keep the biblical term, the begetting. So it's a procreation. It is the begetting of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Begotten of the Father is the alpha moment that forms the boundary between eternity past and time. Okay? The, the, the present uh, dimension of time. And that's what we see being described right here. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. It's a childbearing term. We'll talk about that. When uh, there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, When he had established the heavens, I was there. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there was time in between because the angels were created in between and the angels were brought around to watch the creation of the earth in between. 
when he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set this for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Now in all of those things, uh, Yahweh is the one that's doing the work. Jehovah, from verse 22. Jehovah is doing all that work, and wisdom is telling us about it. Well, except, wait a minute. In our chapter today, we're told that it was by wisdom that Jehovah did all this stuff, right? By wisdom, by wisdom, it says in 3.19, Jehovah, by wisdom, did all this stuff, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps are broken up and the skies dip with dew, okay? So what is it? Did the Lord do it, Yahweh, or did wisdom do it? When we get into the New Testament, we say, did God the Father do it, or did God the Son do it? Sometimes with Yahweh, we're not sure. Are we looking at the Father, or are we looking at the Son? Well, obviously, if this is, we have a dynamic here between Yahweh and wisdom, that becomes clear. We're talking in this context, Yahweh is the Father and wisdom is the Son. There are other contexts where Yahweh is the Son. He comes in, the Son of Man comes and presents himself before the Ancient of Days. We've got other, other terms for that. Sometimes it's not as obvious. And it kind of seems to be the Father and the Son together. And uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because Jesus explained it when he got here in the gospel message. He said, I and the Father are one. And so quite oftentimes what we have is with, with Yahweh in the Old Testament is we have the Father and the Son as one together accomplishing what he accomplishes in uh, the outworking of his plan. Anyway, to me it's not a conundrum and it's not a conflict because Proverbs 8.30 says, Then I was beside him as a master workman. And we see that they were together in this process. The Son was always with the Father. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. They have always been harmonious in their accomplishments. The Father was the architect. The Son was the workman or the carpenter. A master carpenter in verse 30. And I was daily his delight playing always before him playing in the world, his earth. Playing in the world, his earth. And, and the language is, is remarkable. It's, it's this language of a, of, a, of a toddler, of a baby, of, a, of an infant, of a newborn child. And the parent is looking with pride and admiration. Oh, isn't that cute? Look, at he's playing with blocks. Oh, look, he put the blocks in a stack. Oh, look what he did. Isn't he smart? Right? And the end result is God the Father is taking great delight in God the Son and the the blocks that he put into a stack was the universe. Isn't that beautiful? This is the language that's employed when Solomon writes about the creation of existence. And then he says, having my delight in the sons of men. Now that is powerful. We're going to ask why would he have his delight in the sons of men right from the very beginning because humanity was the last thing ever to arrive. Humanity took the longest to come about. I mean, we had angels hundreds of years, thousands of years, billions of years, we don't know. We, there were angels before there was humanity. There was a universe without planet Earth before there was a planet Earth. And then when there finally was a planet Earth and the angels and all of that, then there was a rebellion. How long did that take? And then there was a war. How long did that take? 
And how long was the faithful service before there even was a rebellion? How long did that take? And then there was the judgment. How long did that take? And then there was tohu wabohu, the destruction of the earth. How long did that take? And so when we read the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, how long did that take? And then we know, he said, let there be light, and there was light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and there was day one in the recreation and the establishment of the earth for human habitation. Now we know how long that took. That was day one, and six days later there was a day of rest, and then there was man on that sixth day. We have a calendar from that point, but before that? No, there's no way to know. The Bible does not tell us how old the earth is. The Bible doesn't tell us how old the universe is. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. And yet, when he put it all together, his delight was in the sons of men. The delight of wisdom was in humanity. Sons of men being the recognition of the, uh, the, the, the human race. right? Humanity, mankind. The fact that humanity is designed as a procreative species. And that humanity, of all, and you look at the, the planets and the, the galaxies and the earth and the, the trees and the whales and the, you know, the, the, the flowers and the goats and whatever you want to look at. Not only did Adam look around and not find a helper suitable for him, but Jesus looked around and found one thing to delight in. That was humanity. He didn't delight in the mountains and the hills and the field and the dust and the circles and the boundary and the anything else that's mentioned in this ver- in this chapter. Nothing gave Jesus Christ the delight that humanity gave him. And I believe that's significant. I believe that's connected to his begetting of his own personal humanity. That was what was patterned after him. Humanity. And he already has his human nature because of verse 22. Anyway, we're going to teach more on this, and, and I hope you understand when, when he, so when Adam is fashioned out of the dust of the ground and God makes Adam in his image, what image is that? If the humanity of Jesus Christ is already begotten prior to Adamic dust being fashioned, okay, I think he gives us a whole better appreciation for the image of God as the... Uh, blessings for jesus christ remember all things are created through him and for him all right so we'll get to that the role of wisdom in the creation of the earth will be expanded in chapter eight the role of jesus christ in the creation of the visible and invisible realms of existence is revealed in the new testament all right not only do we have it here in proverbs 3 9 but we have it very explicitly defined in the new testament colossians 1 and verse 16 That's why I think we have a greater detail than just simply the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. That's what we get in the Old Testament. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth. All right. But if all we're thinking about is the physical galaxies and the physical planet, we realize it's so much more than that, and Colossians 1 spells it out. Visible and invisible. All right. So let's look at Colossians 1.16. And this is the role of Jesus Christ. And that's why we take wisdom personally in Proverbs 3. Not just wisdom um, instrumentally as an impersonal instrument. 
Colossians 1.16. All right. Colossians chapter 1. See, thankfully we have these other passages to help explain and unfold what we're dealing with. Otherwise, we wouldn't really have any reason to to read Proverbs the way that we are. We would just say, okay, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Got it. The Lord did it, and He did it because He's wise. He He made use of His characteristic of wisdom. God has wisdom. God is wise. And because He's wise, He used that wisdom when He made the earth. No, we're not talking about an impersonal character trait. We're not talking about an impersonal uh, attribute of God. Yes, He is wise. I'm not saying He's not. I'm saying that we, we should read that verse personally. That it's God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're referencing when we talk about wisdom. So it's a personal reference, not an impersonal instrument. So, uh, Colossians 1. And uh, we have the definition of our Christian walk in verses uh, 9 through 12. Paul is very thankful for uh, the, Colo- the believers at Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All right, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the Christian way of life in a nutshell. Day by day, moment by moment, I want to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. I want to know better today than I knew yesterday. Tomorrow I want to know better than I know today. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And this is all church age reality for the body of Christ. This is not an Old Testament blessing, this is a New Testament reality. Moses and Daniel and David, all the Old Testament saints, were not fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. They were saved, they have eternal life, but they are not baptized in the union with Christ. They are not fellow heirs with the heir of all things, even as we are. They're, they have a different inheritance. Ours is the inheritance of the saints in light. Four, verse, by way of explanation, verse 13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Again, this is our present positional truth reality in the royal family of God. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And He, so this is God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. It wasn't the Father who became visible. It's not the Father who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the Son who became visible. So that if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. The Son is the one who reveals the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. 
And I believe that's a powerful verse that connects with what we've already seen in Proverbs 8.22. That Yahweh canod me at the beginning of his ways before his works of old. Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus Christ, the humanity of God the Son is indeed the very first alpha event within the boundaries of time. He is the firstborn, not just of all mankind, the firstborn of all creation. Remember, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, not one thing has come to be that has come to be. He is literally the firstborn of all creation. Everybody else wants, I mean, if you put the humanity of Christ in the manger, then this firstborn of all creation is just poetry. It's just, don't take it literally, just take it, it's figurative, it's poetry. He wasn't really the firstborn, but, but God promoted him because he was so great. He got, uh, he, he's preeminent. He's preeminent. So we're going to call him the firstborn because he's preeminent. I, I don't dispute that he's preeminent, but I, I accept that he's firstborn because he is firstborn. He is the, first, he is the only born, the only begotten of the Father. And when did he do that? First, before anything else. Before anything else. He's the firstborn of all creation. All right. For by him, all things were created. This is also in agreement with Proverbs 8, also in agreement with Proverbs 3, that by wisdom Yahweh created. For by him, by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, all things were created. And it's important to note when he did the creation, He didn't just do the creation as God the Son in absolute deity. He did all the creation as God the Son and as man. Undiminished deity and true humanity. United together forever in one person forever. And it was the God-man who created the heavens and the earth. Not just God the Son and His deity. All right. Why is this physical universe so fine-tuned for humanity? Well, it was the God-man that built it. All right. By him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. And so, there, that's great. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's uh, Proverbs 3.19. The Lord, by wisdom, created the heavens and founded the earth. Oh, but wait a minute. Visible and invisible. Creation is a whole lot bigger than we think about in terms of Genesis. Answers in Genesis is pathetic in their angelic... Um, it's, 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 they're, they're crippled. They are angelically crippled. And, and if you, every discussion I've ever had with an Answers in Genesis, professor, trainer, teacher, people that come and do conferences, and every, every time I've sat down with them and asked them angelic questions, they are, they are deficient. And, and they confess that. They say, well, we don't really go into the angels. Well, then, you are, you are tying one hand behind your back. And uh, you are limiting your capacity to understand what's, you know, you, you're going to have more questions. In, I didn't tell them this. I want, next time I will. You've got more questions in Genesis than you've got answers in Genesis because of your angelic um, deficiency. In the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all four of those categories are in the, on the invisible side of the ledger. All four of those are invisible, angelic, spirit dimension beings. All things have been created through him and for him. Through him 
and for him. So he's the agent, he's the instrument, but he's also the purpose. Why is there a universe? Why are there angels? Why are there people, humans? Okay. Why is there anything? It's for Jesus Christ. It's for Jesus Christ. Philosophers like to ask, why is there anything rather than nothing? Why is there anything? Okay, it's a philosophical question. Our Bible tells us why. It's for Jesus Christ. It's the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. All right. It goes on. He is before all things. I believe that's temporal as well as positional. Of course, he's preeminent. Of course, he's in the forefront. But he's also preceding. Before Abraham was, I am. Before everything, I am. And and that's true, not only of the deity of God the Son, but the humanity of the God-man. Because the humanity of Jesus Christ was begotten by the Father before his works of old. From everlasting. That boundary moment between eternity past and time. The created dimension of time. See, if all things have been created, that includes the dimension of time itself. All right, he's before all things, positionally and temporally. And in him, all things hold together. We'll talk about that next. He sustains everything. All things hold together. Why is it that molecules don't just explode? You know, you release a lot of energy if you can split an atom. So why don't they split? (laughs) Why do they hold together? Well, they're strong and weak forces and they try to find, you know, laws of physics and blah, blah, blah. Who created those laws of physics? And who's holding those laws of physics together? Who is absolutely maintaining those laws of physics until God the Father gives the word? Because it's by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. And it's only by the mercy of God that it hasn't happened yet. When God the Father gives the word, Jesus Christ is going to let go. And every molecule, physical molecule in the universe will explode. Imagine that. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Isn't that great? And so your, your tree-hugging friends that are just desperately trying to save the whales and, and preserve the planet and all this other stuff, they, they ought to just relax. Say, you know what? Jesus Christ has a handle on this. Then we can get into some real deep Christology because what do you need besides everything? What do you give somebody that has everything? If he's the creator of everything, if everything is for him, how do you add to everything? Well, you create something new. He is also head of the body, the church. That's how you add to everything. You add to everything by creating something that didn't exist before. Isn't that beautiful? He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. The very first ever to have a permanent resurrection unto eternal life. The three folks in the Old Testament that were resuscitated back to a physical, biological life, they later died. Jesus Christ was the first dead human to be eternally resurrected. 
not just physically resuscitated in a biological body. He was resurrected in a spirit body. Firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. This is the plan of God. This is what you get when you pick up an ABC reader on the plan of God. The plan is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. I'm happy to be a part of that plan. I benefit because I got saved. But the, the plan isn't about saving me. The plan is about glorifying and blessing his son, providing a bride for his son. And in the process of executing that plan, uh, we got saved. <laughs> kind of nice, isn't it? All right. So the role of Jesus Christ in the creation of the visible and invisible realms of existence is revealed in the New Testament. Thirdly, we've already hinted at this, the Creator is also the sustainer and destroyer. The Creator is also the sustainer and destroyer. Destroyer. Creator. Sustainer. Destroyer. We already read in Proverbs 3.20. Yes, he founded it, he established, but he also broke it up. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dip with dew. He governs what he creates. He destroys certain things. He remakes other things. In the original earth, uh, there wasn't any rain. There was a canopy over the earth. There were fountains of the deep. There was a mist that used to rise up from the earth, a dew that would rise in the morning. It would, would water everything. But there was not rain that fell until Noah's flood. And then, boy, did it fall. <laughs> okay? It fell and fell and fell for 40 days, and the fountains of the deep were broken up, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened up. And a whole new change took place in the consequence of Noah's flood. He's in charge of that too. He sustains what he creates. And when he wants to destroy it, he will destroy it. Behold, I make all things new. Hebrews 1.3. We've already seen Colossians 3.17 to go with Proverbs 3.20. Save ourselves some time. We don't have to reread that. We just read that a little bit ago. Hebrews 1.3. The introduction of the book of Hebrews is the introduction to Jesus Christ. God, after He spoke long ago to the, to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. All right? I don't remember. I think that's Ion there. It could be Cosmos. I don't remember. I have to look that up. Is Ion? Okay. Is Ion singular or Ionos plural? Plural. Through whom he made the ages. Thank you. All right. Sometimes if it's off the top of my head, my memory isn't exactly on track. But there it is. The heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages. He made the ages. Time itself, 
the sequence of the ages, the entire plan is being executed by Jesus Christ in perfect faithfulness to God the Father. And he's not just exercising, he's not just doing all of this as God the Son and deity. He is doing all this as the God-man, having been begotten by the Father before his works of old. He is the exact, he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance of his glory. Think about that. We don't actually see the sun. When we look up there in the sky, we see the light that's coming from the sun, right? Well, as a, we don't see the Father, but we see the Son. And He's the radiance of the Father's glory. The exact representation of His nature. I love the fact that He upholds all things by the word of His power. <laughs> So we the, we the earth has stayed in its orbit. We didn't just go spinning off somewhere and crash into Mars. We didn't go spinning off somewhere and, and uh, our orbit didn't, didn't crisscross with Jupiter's orbit or we didn't, we didn't, uh, the moon didn't come crashing down into the earth. Why is it that the, the moon spins around the earth and the earth spins around the sun and all the orbits are maintained uh, at the, the right distances apart from one another? And what was the planet that used to exist between Mars and Jupiter? That exploded and that became an asteroid belt. And who did that? This verse says Jesus Christ did that. He's the creator, sustainer, and destroyer. All right. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. What a blessing. What, and and what a, what a uh, provision for a relaxed mental attitude. <laughs> you know what? God's got this. Jesus Christ has this. And even better, the, uh, the one who has all this firmly in control is the one who has me firmly in control, is the one who holds me firmly in his hand, the one who loves me, the one who gave himself up for me. That's, uh, that's a factor in some uh, uh, relaxed mental attitudes, I would think, or some faith rest drills. He is also the sustainer and the destroyer, all right? So, if all of that gives you some comfort and some encouragement, then it won't come as any surprise to you what we see here in verses 21 through 26. We return back to Proverbs and we find out that abiding in God's wisdom or the wisdom of God (laughs) I couldn't decide which way I wanted to phrase that so I messed it all up. Abiding in the wisdom of God abiding in God's wisdom I couldn't make up my mind how I wanted to say that. Abiding in personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ that's what we're talking about. We're not just abiding in God's wisdom in terms of, you know, philosophizing over how smart God is. Or even cycling doctrine. You know, if you want to cycle doctrine, if you want to, if you want to memorize scriptures, if you want to, if you want your thought processes to be dwelling on doctrines and promises and principles, verses and, and chapters and whatnot, you can do that. I'm not saying don't do that. Is that abiding in wisdom? It is. But so too is personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's abiding with wisdom. 
My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And I think you're going to have both. As you are cycling the verses, as you are mentally letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, as you are dwelling on doctrine, you are fellowshipping with His Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. So abiding in the wisdom of God, I'm going to, re, I'm going to retype that before next Wednesday. Abiding in the wisdom of God provides a, for a life of personal stability. Look at how stable you're going to be. Let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. You see how stable you are? When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So there it is, verses 21 through 26. You want personal stability in your daily life? There it is. How many believers do you know don't have that kind of stability? And then ask yourself, are they truly disciples? Are they abiding in the Word of God? There will be a benefit if you abide in the Word of God. There is provision for discipleship. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Your foot will not slip. You will not stumble. You will walk in your way securely. There it is. Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. We also have 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. James 1, 6 through 8. And I'm sure I can find some more. These are just my favorites off the top of my head. All right, I've loved these for years. I've used these for years to challenge brothers and sisters from time to time. Just to, uh, in, in shepherding, in discussions with various folks and various occasions and asking, well, what do you think? It seems like, uh, seems like you're kind of scattered at the moment. It seems like, uh, got some instability going on. Is that what God has called us to do? Why, why all this turmoil? You got chaos in your family. You've got disaster and personal life. You got, uh, you know, relationships are a train wreck and you can't keep a job to save your life. Just everything in temporal life is, 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 is rotten, unstable, tossed to and fro and up and down. And, and isn't that really a reflection of where your soul is at the moment? Yeah, kind of is. Well, why is that? It's not what we were designed for. Doctrine should be stabilizing. Why is that? And uh, if this is the kind of thing I'm noticing, you've got to have noticed this a long time ago, right? That's all internal. How are you sleeping at night? Are you tossing and turning and wondering about this and that? All right. When's the last time you memorized a Bible verse? (laughs) Instead of laying up into the wee hours of the night thinking about the bills you can't pay, spend some time memorizing some Bible verses. Go over those. Claim some promises. may not pay your bills that way, but at least you'll have some soul stability. <laughs> and then you have a frame of reference to uh, handle everything else that comes your way. All right, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable. Be steadfast and movable. If, if that's not a description of, of your stability in Christ, the grounding you have in doctrine, well then, you're disobeying this imperative. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And of course, if you're unstable, instable, instable, unstable, um, well, what, what, how does that impact your ministry? What kind of ministry do you have? What kind of work do you have? You're not abounding in the work of the Lord. You're not even doing the work of the Lord. Ministry is the last thing on your mind. You're so wrapped up in problems, you haven't even thought about serving the Lord in weeks. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Say, well, well, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll serve him someday. I just got to get my, I got to get my life in order first. Hmm. Like all those people saying, yeah, Lord, I'll follow you. First, I got to plant a field. First, I got to bear my father. First, I got to do this. I got to do that. Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16. So how do we find this stability? How do we obey the imperative to be steadfast and immovable? Well, let the Word of God transform you and watch what happens. Okay? Because you see, the purpose for operating within a body is that there are equipping gifts within that body, namely evangelists and pastor teachers, that will equip you for the work of service. So you receive your equipment, you do the work of service, you're always abounding in the work of service, you're going to have that steadfast, um, steadfast immovable. The building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you want that stability? Get plugged into a local church. Identify with a body of believers whereby you will be equipped with gifted and trained evangelists and pastors. And really, all the gifts. But it's evangelists and pastors that are the equipping gifts. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's just a mark of immaturity. You're a child tossed around here and there, bouncing from this, bouncing that, chasing after shiny things. Ooh, look at that. Right? Oh, look, squirrel. All right? The, uh, and, and sadly, though, in churches, it's, oh, look, purpose-driven. Oh, look, uh, Jabez. Oh, look. You know, whatever the next buzz thing is, it's going to come along. Okay? But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's kind of plain, isn't it? Kind of boring, vanilla. Oh, you mean Bible class? You mean another Bible class? You mean another Bible class after that? Class after class after class after class, being equipped, being trained, being taught, growing. And of course... Communion, fellowship, prayer meeting. The four functions of the local church, as Acts 2.42 describes them. All right. Growing up into all aspects into Him 
who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. Who is it that holds all things together by his power? He is holding the whole universe in his hand. He's also holding the body of Christ together. You know, people get critical. They, well, there's too many denominations today, and the church is apostate, and everything, that, and, and they're very, very negative, down on church history. Hmm. Wow. You have a pretty low opinion with what Jesus Christ is doing as head of the church. You know, and I agree with you. I see all the stuff you see in the denominations and the apostasy and all of the, the, the crummy things that are happening in a whole lot of places, but there's also some amazing things happening in some places. And, uh, you know, do you think this is apart from Jesus Christ's control or do you think he's got a handle on it? I think he's got a handle on it. I think he knows what he's doing. Hmm. Yeah. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And I love teaching this. It's all about the joints. And what, what's a joint? <laughs> a joint, careful. A joint is the connection between body parts. That's what a joint is, all your joints. Connections between body parts. So if I'm a body part and you're a body part, then what's, what's the connection like between us? What's the connection like between you and every other body part in the body? It's about, and where does the supply come from? The supply comes from the joints. The supply comes from the connections between the body parts. So Joe Hermit Christian living in a cave that has no connection with any other body part has no supply because it's that what is held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Anyway, we'll get there. We're going to teach Ephesians after Galatians. Probably after, it's going to be the last one. We're going to do Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians in that order after we do Galatians. I've made up my mind. I may change my mind, but I have made up my mind as of now. That's the order we're going to do it. All right, 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. So you want stability? Get into a body. See what the joints are like. See that which every joint supplies, not just one or two joints. Say, well, I've got one friend that's my only friend, that's the only person I talk to, then I leave the church. No, it's every joint supplies. Every joint, not just one joint, not just your favorite joint, your comfortable joint. Every joint supplies something. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. What did I say? Okay, well, that was wrong. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.2. These things all get edited out. When Chuck Swindoll's on the radio, all that stuff gets edited out. And they, it sounds like he never quotes a wrong verse. It, it just boggles the mind. Okay. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.2. Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. How many folks get shaken and disturbed? This is a great eschatological passage too. It talks about the rapture. We request to be brethren with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our episunagoge, our gathering together to Him. That's the rapture of the church in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and our gathering together with him. We are transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We are snatched up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He takes us home to the houses, the mansions he's gone to prepare. So we, we could rephrase verse 1 to say, we request of you, brethren, concerning the rapture of the church, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. That's the tribulation. So with respect to the rapture, don't be disturbed if somebody tells you you're in the tribulation. Let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come until the departure comes first. The tribulation cannot come. You will not ever enter into the tribulation because the departure comes first. The episunagoge, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. We have a very explicit pre-tribulational rapture of the church right here. And folks don't want to teach it that way because they want to teach this as some kind of a spiritual apostasy in the last days. Now, there are other places you can learn about that. This text is talking about the rapture. But when the departure comes, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. All that's tribulational, all that's after the departure. After the departure, we won't be here to see it. Okay? We are waiting from Jesus Christ to be revealed from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And thank God for that. Not that we're rapture sissies. Not that we're afraid of tribulation. Not that we uh, we don't want to suffer. Of course we're going to suffer. We all suffer, but we, we suffer in our purpose. We serve the purpose of God in our generation. I'm not afraid of the tribulation any more than I'm afraid of marching around Jericho seven times and, and blowing a trumpet and going in and killing all the people that are in there. All right? That wasn't for us to do. That was for Joshua and his generation to do. <laughs> we had no part in the Jericho destruction because that wasn't our stewardship. That wasn't our day and age. I'm not afraid of it. Same thing with the tribulation. I'm not afraid of it. But it's not for us. It's not the purpose for the bride of Christ to go through the tribulation. The tribulation is the time of corrective wrath upon Israel and punitive wrath upon the Gentile nations. And we are neither Jew nor Gentile. We have no purpose for the tribulation. Anyway, the real issue here, in term, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make under point eight, is the point of stability. So do not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. All right? Don't fall for it. If you hear something that bugs you, Slow it down, okay? Hear it again. Wait till you hear it a second time. Wait till you hear it a third time. Go back to the pastor and say, did you really mean to say you're an apostle? All right? Fine. Oh, no, I misspoke. Oh, okay. Whew. I was, I was ready to leave the church because I thought you were claiming apostolic authority. Well, slow down. Ask me. Let's, let's check it out, okay? Don't be quickly shaken. Think it through. That's the, I say a prime satanic tactic is just to get you rolling, get you thinking, get you not thinking, get your emotions flowing, get you to start responding emotionally, and don't take time to think it through. The high-pressure panic of <gasps> reaction and overreaction, and Satan has you. He's playing you like a, like a violin or something, right? Beating you like a cheap drum is what he's doing. And, and you don't realize, stop, slow down, think about it. 
Think about it. Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. It's probably a false message. Just listen listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Spirit of truth to open your eyes to an understanding. And there we have it. Finally, James 1, verse 6 through 8. James 1, verses 6 through 8. Remember, James is New Testament Proverbs. So it's not surprising the principles we have in Proverbs get repeated in James. The worst thing about being unstable in your thinking is it produces an unstable prayer life. We don't want to have an unstable prayer life. We want to have a stable prayer life. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And we understand that we, we might have a finite, limited understanding. There might be a finite understanding that's based on our finite uh, nature. That's different from doubting. All right, And I can accept my, the, the limitations of what I know and what I don't know. I can fully accept the limitations of what I understand and what I don't understand. That's not doubting. There's a lot of things I've been going through. Right? We were talking before class about taking care of my dad and different things there. There's a ton of stuff I don't understand. But that's fine. That's different than doubting. Right? I can still in faith go to the one who does understand. I can still in faith go to the one who gives wisdom. And accept the, the, the uh, quantity and quality and amount and everything he gives me. And also accept what he doesn't give me. Say, all right, Father, I'd prefer to have uh, a little bit more omniscience on this uh, regard, but I'm not entitled to omniscience. And so within the capacity of what I'm entitled to know and understand and do, all right. And the rest I just leave with you. There's no doubting in that. He must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's the instability. Where you're doubting because of your uh, ignorance and, 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 and finite weaknesses. And the sad thing is, is you then ascribe that to God. And say, well, God must be just as clueless as I am. God must not know what He's doing. He must not be able to do anything about it. And I've just transferred my own finitude my own limitations, my own stupidity, my own lack of understanding. I've just uh, transferred all that to God. Wrong answer. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And there too, when it comes right down to it, those folks that are unstable. I'll bring them to this passage after I'm done with Ephesians 4. I'll bring them here and say, uh, you know, can you write your name into verse 8 right there? <laughs> uh, that's a problem if you can. Are you double-minded? Are you unstable in all your ways? Are you tired of the roller coaster? Are you tired of, man, I got some days where I'm in fellowship and things are great, and then I got some days where I'm out of fellowship and things are horrible? And it's like up and down, up and down, like a yo-yo on a string. Well, that's a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Let's try to try to get away from that. Let's uh, embrace humility and humble in your circumstances and glory in your high position. and There's provision here. Okay, There's provision. Well, abiding in God's wisdom provides a life of personal stability. We'll come back to this. We'll flesh out some more of the details from 21 through 26, and then we'll move on to the thou shalt nots in uh, 27 through 31.
There's a whole lot of thou shalt nots in uh, the upcoming verses. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for blessing our time in your word. Thank you for feeding us day by day and moment by moment. I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.